Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and this is my podcast where I get to talk to coaches about coaching and today I have got an Australian PGA professional on again um, in Christian Hamilton. Thanks for coming in and talking to me today, Christian. Thanks, Brent. Great to be on uh, your program. It's, um, it's going to be a cool chat, I think, today. I think we've got some some pretty cool things to go through. But for people who don't have or who haven't come across you before, tell them a, a bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Um, yeah, so as you said, I've yeah, been a PJ member for uh, getting closer to the 20-year mark now. Brent, a few grey hairs that are starting to poke through that remind me on a daily basis. But um... I was 20 years uh... <laughs> This year as well, so it's a, it's a scary. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, look, I I've had I've I've been really fortunate in my career. I've worked across um, a variety of different uh, sort of levels of golf. Um, started very much in the public sort of golf course domain, and did my traineeship under uh, two fantastic fellows of Steve Montgomery and Warren Young at Centenary Park in Frankston in Melbourne. And um, started with them when I was like 13, actually, um, just working probably illegally at the time, um, seven days a week. I probably wasn't old enough to actually work um, uh, under, under law sort of back then. But anyway, it sort of fast forward a bit, did my traineeship with those guys, um, finished when I was 21, went out and played and quickly found out that playing wasn't for me. I probably didn't like the, uh, the the tins of baked beans and spaghettis that, that, uh, that and, and, and being on the, the budget and budget accommodation, um, it's not too glamorous as I think all, all professionals know um, starting off. And I sort of made, I suppose, the, the decision when I finished playing that um, I wanted to get into a, a, a place where I could really see my sort of professional sort of coaching and management career start to, you know, really take a, a, a you know, a, a, take some speed or, yeah, take a really good direction going forward. And um, started working with Stuart Leong at Sandhurst and I, I suppose I was bugging him for quite some time to, to sort of try and get coaching with him and and have a bit of an in at Sandhurst and, um, you know, worked in the shop there and, and, and started to have those opportunities of, of, of doing more with the club on the club side of things and management. So, um, and then I suppose I fell into a bit of a hybrid model of, you know, sort of full-time coach and full-time um, you know, director of golf at Santos, which sort of it was a great, great time of my life. I was there for 10 years. Um, and then sort of, I suppose in, in some of the, the real focus areas of my coaching um, sort of led me into a position with Golf Australia and 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 the PGA of Australia. It was, um, you know, um, it's no secret to the people that know me that I'm really passionate around disability inclusion, and um, and the work that I'd done at Sandhurst um, with the PGA. Uh, it was a bit of a logical step for me to try and move into golf administration and try and fill what I think was a bit of a void in our sport of of supporting people. Um, into the game of golf with the people that have disability. So um, we've enjoyed a great relationship with the PGA and um, and with GA um, in in developing that that inc- inclusion strategy. And sort of fast forward now, I've been here uh, for about four years. So that's sort of to to, to take you up to current day. 
Yeah, no, that's cool. And it's um, it's a space that we can have some pretty serious conversations about and it gets into some pretty detailed stuff about coaching. But just be, as we head down that path, I'm curious about what kind of sparked that, that first contact. So who was the first type of golfer that came to you with that um, – in that all ability space at Sanders, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming turned up on the coaching tee one day and kind of sparked that interest for you. Yeah, I, I started very early days. I think it was one of the first sort of it was very very early on in, in uh, my days at Sandhurst. Um, started working working with an organisation, Limbs for Life. Um, they're a national peer support organisation for people that experience limb loss around the country. Um, and um, it was pretty evident very quickly. We did we we ran some come and try sort of sessions for people who had experienced limb loss and were going through rehabilitation, and um, just sort of seeing firsthand the, the the peer support that goes on at those sessions. So golf was almost the vehicle to bring people together. But then the real magic happened after the sessions, where we actually shared a you know a coffee afterwards in the clubhouse or something, and you know it. It was actually seeing, and I was witnessing people's lives change through meeting other people that have obviously experienced limb loss or you know same sort of experiences in life, and and those people were, were sort of collaborating and helping others to to sort of give those people um, you know the tools that they need to 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 make their their lives better, and um, you know one particular guy turned up um, in a wheelchair with. Um, that didn't have prosthetics. Um, Alan, his name was from Ballarat. He drove down just to see what this was all about, and um, pretty quickly understanding his story, um, he just had problems fitting into prosthetics um, just due to his amputation. And um, you know, Melissa, who's the, the uh, she's the CEO of Limbs for Life, just and through a couple of other peer support guys that were there, just um, uh, sort of gave him the contacts that he needed to go and get legs that actually fitted and lo and behold probably at six months later we saw alan but instead of coming down the wheelchair he's you know walking through the front door and you know to 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 be that sort of person that facilitates that engagement it wasn't about the goal for me it was more about this sort of human element and what we're doing in in you know significantly changing people's lives yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that and it's a it's a powerful thing to be able to to get that person out of a chair essentially and give them access to be able to um, get out and about um, is, is powerful. And I'll, I'll tell a story too. The first, I think it was the first coach training that you ran face-to-face. Um, we had a, a golfer you were using with the paragolfer and you put them in the paragolf and it was the first time that person had been out of that chair for something crazy like like five or ten years that they hadn't been out of that chair and um, and they played golf in the past and to put them in the paragolf and see them hit hit shots again and just the the excitement in, in, in that golfer's face was just was just a powerful thing and I think it's um it's a pretty pretty special place to be involved with in coaching. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really good point there. And, and, you know, I think the definition of coaching, you know, we, we tend to, as coaches, we think about, you know, when someone comes through our front door, no matter their level of ability, we're thinking about how do we improve their ball flight or fix a certain problem they have with their chipping or putting or, you know, skill-based stuff. But, you know, when you're dealing and, and I shouldn't say dealing, but when you're working with people with disability, it's it's quite often 
you know, just solving issues like, you know, as you explained then around mobility issues and, and providing equipment like the Paragolfer or whether it's, you know, specific attachments that, that connect with prosthetics or whether it's, um, you know, finding someone that can act as a carer for someone with, you know, significant intellectual disability to go around on the golf course. And, you know, I suppose everything that I do is through a lens of creating um a situation where people can can participate in our game on their own terms and not and and be self-sufficient and I think that's the sort of lens that I look through with my own coaching as number one it's not necessarily about whether they're swinging on plane or <laughs> uh, those sort of things and you know a great example like with the paragolfer you know a lot of people that have spinal cord injuries may not be able to sort of bend down and put the tee in the ground um, you know they rely on a carer but you know we we found some some great a great little device from the UK that is simple. It looks like a litter picker that someone can just tee the ball up themselves. And, you know, I've got a couple of guys that I've worked with in the past that they just said, look, I can actually go out and play and play on my own terms. Now I actually don't need someone. I can just knock off work and go out and play and I don't need anyone to tee my ball up anymore. So, you know, that's for me, that's, that's also coaching. Yeah, for sure. It's cool. So so talk people, and I'm hearing the Paragolfer coming up in a few different podcasts the last few weeks that I've just um, that I've subscribed to. So talk people through the Paragolfer and how it works and how that piece of equipment um, helps golfers get out on the golf course easily. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I work with this thing all the time. So, um, but for people out there that aren't sure of what it is, it's it's essentially a bit of a hybrid between a wheelchair and a golf cart. You could you could potentially say in a, there's a lot of um, power chairs out there um, that people use that can um, stand the participant up. So, um, and, you know, the Paragolf is a good example of that sort of type of technology where the user can um, drive around the golf course. They can pretty much get anywhere they, they need to get on the golf course. Um, it'll go in shallow bunkers. And generally as a rule, if the, if you get a bunker groomer into a, into a bunker to, to, to groom that one of the ones that the uh, you know the superintendent sits on and, and and drives through the bunker the paragolfer will go in there as well and yeah so it's it creates that ability for the person to get out on course and move around the course but the other really cool thing is that it will actually stand a player up um, to uh, to to hit a shot so um, yeah as I said just gives that player hundred percent sort of independence. Um, to get out there and participate on their own terms. Yeah, sounds awesome. So, if you've got someone that's been in a chair for a certain period of time, and all of a sudden you're you're putting them in this paragolf for the stand them up, are there any problems that might come across as a coach? Yeah, we always we always take people through, um, I, I suppose, a, a pretty in depth um, sort of interview process. You could say, um, ideally, when you're working with someone with um, whether it's a spinal cord injury or, um, uh, you know, those those sort of, I suppose, injuries that, that people would then necessarily need a chair to, uh, to move around. Um, there are some extra issues that you need to consider, um, things like bone density. Um, if the person's not used to standing up and putting a lot of weight through um, through their skeletal um, sort of frame, you know, it can, that can be an issue. Um, blood pressure as well when we think about, you know, the vascular system and how all that works. Um, you stand someone up that uh, hasn't been upright for a very long time, you know, a lot of blood starts to rush rush south and, um, you know, I suppose people can start to feel a little bit 
a um, little bit dizzy and and you know we've got so you've got to yeah so blood pressure and things like that you do have to be aware but we always sort of say especially you know we're, we're very fortunate that we have a workforce out there in Australia these PGA All Abilities coaches uh, we've got over 160 trained professionals now that have um, have had some training in the para golfer but um, ideally through that first experience would recommend that maybe an occupational therapist um, would sort of attend as well just to um, uh, or, or, you know, if that's not the case, um, you know, the PJ member is always asking a lot of qualifying sort of questions to the participant, just understanding whether, you know, how they feel, um, which is funny because if you ask someone that, that, you know, that hasn't stood up and hit a golf shot for 10 years, how they feel, they're probably going to, they're probably going to say to you, they feel bloody amazing. Um, but but you do have to actually ask and say, yeah, no, I know you feel amazing. You're hitting some shots, but I'm, you know, noticing a bit of a colour change in your, in your face or or something like that, you know. Um, but look, generally, people let you know if if they're not feeling that great. So yeah, for sure. So uh, do you find that a golfer who has experienced a para golfer and hits shots again for the first time for a long time tend to go out and buy this piece of equipment pretty quickly and start getting into golf or is it something that they hire or how does it work? Yeah, I suppose it all depends on the on on the, the player's sort of own set of circumstances. I know we've had a lot of success um, in Victoria and, and to some extent other states around Australia in, um, you know, working with organisations like the TAC here in Victoria, the Traffic Accident Commission, they see a lot of value in, in getting people that have experienced road trauma, as an example, back out in the community, back out physically active, socially connected, um, because essentially for every dollar that they spend in sport and recreation, you know, physical activity, they're going to set, it's, it's a known fact they're going to save a couple of dollars um, in the health system. So it's a good investment. And we've, we've got, you know, proven examples of that in action through some people that have actually got these these para golfers that you know rusted on members of golf clubs like anyone else um the other really i suppose game changer in australia is the national disability insurance scheme the ndis um so you're seeing a situation now where a lot of i suppose participants of the ndis people with disability are, are sort of building these sort of things into their own support plans know sort of working through with the NDIS saying look I want to get back to physical activity and want to get back to club golf I want to you know just be part of the community again um, and certainly these things like the para golf are, are things that create that capacity. So government funding always a challenging space I'm sure I'm sure there's been some little speed bumps down that path with, with regards to government funding. Yeah, there can be, but um, interesting enough, though, like I sort of go back to my other point, that the investment of, um, you know, the investment of um, government that they play in physical activity and the and the savings that come out through the other side um, through uh, through the health system, it's it's it, it is a good investment, and you know, yes, they are expensive. You might be looking at thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars, but if you depreciate that over ten years, it's 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 not a big, um, it's not a big investment. And I'll put it into a context that, um, you know, if you're receiving acute care in a hospital over a couple of days or two or three day period, you think about the cost of that bed for two or three days. 
And then you think about the cost of a para golfer for a year. You know, if you break that out, in, you know, let's keep the arithmetic simple, but you know, over 10 months, you look at $3,500. It's a good investment for government. So um, it's, I suppose the biggest challenge for us has been to go through the different layers of government and, and get to the right people that can understand that this is actually a good investment for the participant. Yeah, for sure. So how many paragolfers are there in Australia at the moment? Um, I would say there's over, it's definitely over 20 now around the country. Um, a lot of those are privately owned, as I said, through, um, you know, through insurance and things like that. Um, but it's it's growing at enormous rate. And I've got to put my hand up and, and really um, call out, you know, James Gribble of Empower Golf. I think, you know, he's one individual that uh, that saw a real need to to really try and push inclusivity and and you know and I think through his own circumstances and I think everyone really connected with James when we first met him that he's a guy who's you know an absolute golf nut like anyone else and you know why should we uh, why shouldn't someone like James experience exactly what we experience as golfers and um, and you know he's been a massive advocate for for the para golfer and for for people with spinal cord injuries across the country to get into the game. Well, it just makes common sense, I think. Getting someone outside in the fresh air can't be a bad thing for anybody. Um, if they they getting their headspace right, being out on the golf course, it can't be a bad thing for them as a as a a person in general. So I think, um, as you said, convincing the right people of the benefits of this is in, is, is an important step. Mm. Yeah. So heading down that path, obviously, and I've seen the para golfer. So the the player inside of the para golfer is standing very very vertical there's not too much hip flex when they're yeah. in the para golfer so that's going to have obviously an influence on the type of equipment that they can and can't use so how do you cater for that in a coaching sense yeah and once again it comes down to understanding um a bit more about the individual so you know spinal cord injuries aren't all the same we know that they're you know have got incomplete and you know various different sort of levels of impairment as well and um you know just the term paraplegic and quadriplegic people think quadriplegic and they think oh you know someone doesn't have the use of their arms but we can have what we call incomplete quadriplegic um that you know that we can still you know have use of our arms and still make grip but we might need assistance in you know gripping solutions and things like that to hold onto the club but um definitely where the particular injury is in the spine can determine uh, where, for instance, we use the the chest strap as an example. So just to sort of paint the picture for those listening in, um, there's a strap that goes across the chest to actually keep the, you know, obviously keep the participant upright. Now, depending where that break is in the spine, if it's quite high, um, they will have very, very little use of their core. So they actually need the chest strap quite high on the chest, which if that's the case, you've virtually got no you know, shoulder rotation because the player is actually strapped into the chair. So you'll see a lot of those players to create the amount of range to swing the golf club. They'll actually swing the club a lot of the time. They'll swing the club one-handed as a result, just so they can actually get more range and more speed out of the out of the golf club. Where, you know, if it's someone that, you know, is a paraplegic and the and potentially the the, the injury is quite low, 
um, maybe in the you know lower lumbar spine, um, you'll have a situation where that that chest strap you know can be worn quite low because they do have you know control of their core, um, and as a result, um, that player will um, will then be able to sort of rotate through the shoulders because that chest strap is quite low. Um, so given yeah given the I suppose circumstances of yeah the the individual it, it really determines that will determine sort of how much range of um, movement um, uh, okay. the golfer has. No, that makes sense. So, but if you're going to uh, build a golf club for a person that's in a para golfer, was there any sort sort of club fitting changes that you would make? Obviously, if they're swinging with a single hand, you'd probably have to go ultra light. I'm, I'm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there any other changes um, that you would have to make? Yeah, and and once again, you know, with the para golfer, I'm getting you know, the the players generally in a, a pretty sort of straight sort of standing position. There's no hip flex, as you said. There's no forward tilt in the spine generally. So as a result, um, you know, length is obviously a real issue. Um, but then, you know, putting the old club fitting cap on of, you know, when I was back at Sandhurst and coming up with you know, with my own solutions, you know, effective lie angle, you know, as we know, as we're adding length, that, that lie angle is getting more upright and upright as I, as I go. So... Um, yeah, so, so looking at, yeah, turf interaction with heads is really important, you know, getting those lie angles right, getting the length right so the, the player can um, reach the golf ball. Um, yeah, as you said, with those players that are swinging it one-handed, you know, the weight is really, really important. So, yeah, they're all factors, yeah. So, you know, it, it really takes someone to think outside the square a lot of the time. Um, yeah. It's it's certainly appealing to my to my coaching brain, um, coming up with solutions for players, which is which is pretty cool. So, having and obviously haven't experienced it in anywhere the detail that that you have personally, but being able to to tweak your ideal golf swing to suit different people in front of you and um, is 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 good fun as a golf coach. Yeah, so the- I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, the most challenging one that I had, I had a what we call a quadrilateral amputee. So uh, this lady um, had no arms and she had no legs. Uh, she had prosthetic legs that she got around on, uh, but no arms. So it's just like as a coach, you think, well, you know, how are they going to grip the golf club? So what we essentially did was make, you know, it was probably 60 inches, nearly 70 inches long, this 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 um, five would have plenty of loft on it. But, um, but we basically got a two-thumb grip, if you can imagine, at the very, very end. And instead of putting it on so the flat paddle was on the, on the front or on the top, we actually put it on the side. And what she was able to do is actually tuck it under her armpit and then cross her sort of, I suppose, her forearms across. Um, yeah, she, was, she didn't have any hands, but crossing her forearms across the shaft. And because of the shaft length, she was able to still pivot her torso with the club actually wedged underneath her um, uh, her armpit and actually generate some some clubhead movement and clubhead speed um, through oh, that. that. But you know that cool. that was a bit of a, a knock up job of um, you know yeah. a, a, an hour or so in the uh, the basement at Sandhurst in the repair room <laughs> just knocking that one up. But um, and, but it's great. And as you said, it it does make you it def- definitely does make you think outside the square. 
Oh, that's cool. There was a similar player, I think, at that first training session as well that we ran with. Um, uh, yeah, I think I don't think he had any arms. I think he was uh, had short stumps, maybe, and he had a, had an extra long club that he shoved up under an armpit and still managed to and bent over a fair bit and still managed to make pretty decent contact as well. So that was pretty cool to and see. Absolutely, and I think you know, as a coach too. Our most important assets are our ears, I think. And, you know, quite often I'd be say, you know, I, I give the player a piece of equipment and say, well, how would you do it if I gave you this? And or if I said well, the, the objective here is to move this ball that way and here's something to actually move the ball with, how would you do it? So, you know, rather than going with, a, I suppose, a closed mindset of how we think they're going to be able to do it or we might think that they can't do it, is just asking the question and getting feedback from the player from the start. And again, that is so simple but makes so much sense. You've probably got a person in front of you that's had 20, 30, 40 years of experience of getting stuff to work for them. 100%. You're ex- so exactly you're right. Just- they live they live on a daily basis with their disability. They know how to how to do things, you know, it's not up to us to actually prescribe a lot of the time the solution it's it's about listening and making what they do better no that's cool um that probably uh leads us into the the second part i want to talk about so we've covered the paragolfer pretty well so we've uh, how about amputees talk me through some experience you've had with amputee golfers whether it's uh legs or arms and what are some of the things that you've had to cope with in in that space in coaching um yeah, I'll probably start by saying, you know, it, it's one of the best sports for amputees because, um, you know, if we think about through the rehabilitation process as well, um, dynamic balance, we're moving, you know, and, you know, stability, um, you're, you know, you're activating their core. Uh, this I'm talking about lower leg or lower limb amputees. Um, you know, it's uh, it's something that kids can do, seniors can do. It get, brings people together. So there's just so much, you know, great things about the sport of golf um, for amp- for the amputee community. I think that's why we have such a great relationship with um, with limbs for life. Um, but yeah, I, I think the important thing is first as a coach to really gauge an understanding of what people want out of the game because obviously it's a we, we've got this opportunity where we can present these sort of dual pathways to 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 amputees especially you know through the the event space you know disabled golf you know we've got the world rankings for golfers with disability now and we have some you know some great events around the world now i think we've got you know we've got the australian all abilities championship integrated within the australian open and european tour doing some really great things and majority of those players are amputees and um, but as we know you know there's so many amputee golfers that are out there just participating in clubland or they're social golfers or they're you know, so I think one of the first things I like to do is get an understanding of what sort of direction they want to go in. Um, and, yeah, secondly, uh, yeah, I suppose there's no uh, sort of fast analogy about, you know, uh, you know, a leg amputee and what we sort of see and how they move um, or an arm amputee and, 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 and what they do. It's, it's it, you know, very individual. I've... I sort of like to think that people sit on this sort of continuum of ability somewhere. And, you know, I take a guy like Shane Luke, um, you know, he's a leg amputee, uh, 
league amputee that, that plays out at Bankstown in Sydney plays off a plus one handicap like and takes his leg off to play. Um, you know, so if you look at just everyone, even myself or yourself, Brent, as a golfer, we sit on this continuum of ability. Now, Shane's up here with, you know, as an, as an elite amateur or as, as a professional golfer, um, you know, where you might get a leg amputee that's, that's you know, a fair way further down the sort of that, that, that sort of continuum, if you know what I mean. So, um, but yeah, I, I think also having a basic understanding of prosthetics and how they work. Um, and it's, and as a coach, it's okay to ask questions, you know, we're not expected to know everything, um, uh, about how a, you know, a, a microprocessor in a bionic knee works or, you know, or what sort of range or movement, you know, goes through an ankle joint of a, you know, X5 genium leg. I know all these terms because I know a fair bit about prosthetics, but, but, um, but, but one other thing I think that is really important, and this is consistent across anyone that uses prosthetics, is uh, whether they get any discomfort or pain uh, when they're swinging the golf club because, um, as you know, as a coach, the body will always try and protect itself. So some of the movements that we generally see, um, you know, the reasons behind those movements can be pain-related. So... And this is the, the beauty of a, 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 being a coach and being a good coach. You've got just got to dig for this information a lot of the time. But um, I know I've jumped around a lot with that answer, but, um, no, but from a technical perspective, um, yeah, sure, you do see some similarities. Uh, leg amputees, you know, from my own experience, sometimes I don't see, you know, a really good quality hip sort of rotation. We might see a lot of sliding, and as a result, we might see some changes in um, – you know, spine angle and things like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just too hard to generalise a lot of the time. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, again, it probably just enforces the fact that as a coach you should be asking questions. You should be digging as deep as you can and not assuming certain things. I was just curious that if someone had two prosthetic legs, if there was a, any generalised pattern in, say, shifting of, pressure in 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 that type of golfer is there anything that comes up as a, as a standard thing but it sounds like you just need to treat that person in front of you as a as a as a individual person and and coach them yeah that's right and and look you know i, I take someone like mike rolls who's a, a a bilateral amputee double leg amputee um you know he's a real athlete and he can move really really well and and then you might get someone that has a similar amputation that you know, to actually load up over the, say, the trailing leg and rotate, you know, there might be some rotational force going through that stump um, that is giving that player a bit of discomfort. So, you know, they'll try and stack over the ball and, um, and you know, as a as a player, you're looking at that player going, geez, I'd love to get that player a little bit more behind the ball and shallow that golf swing out a little bit. But as I said, if you understand why they're doing that, and, and quite often it's just about digging getting those answers and then you can understand why. But then, you know, once you get those answers, you still need to improve their ball flight. So it's okay, well, how do I shallow this player out a little bit um, if they're stacked on top of the ball and they don't like to move onto that trail leg? Um, you know, these are all things, and this is the beauty of coaching is is finding solutions um, that are outside the what we would probably classify as the, the norm. Solve those puzzles. That's a that's a that's a cool thing to do as a golf coach. So no, pretty exactly. pretty cool stuff there. Um, I'm curious. You brought up something earlier on, just about joint tournaments and joint um, events. Can you talk me through that? How have you set those up? 
Yeah, so um, about three years ago, we, we, we actually, a bit of a strange thing to do, but Golf Australia became a member federation of the European Disabled Golf Association. So people would be scratching their heads going, hang on, why is that the case? Um, we saw what we, well, we saw some really good things happening in Europe where there was a group of about 16 to 18 national federations that were all sharing the, all, the same tournament structure and a ranking system and everything like that. And we saw some real merit in, in getting on board with that. And um, so we became the first, essentially the first national organisation or national um, NSO outside of Europe to join. And um, what that enabled us to do is to then create tournaments then, as I said, that deliver ranking points for athletes, then connect into this um, into this ranking system that was shared by these other countries. And pretty quickly, um, yeah, the European Disabled Golf Association became EDGA because it didn't, you know, they had to change the name because it wasn't European anymore. But, um, you know, to this day we've got um, I think around 35 national federations um, that are members of EDGA, um, including us, New Zealand. Uh, Costa Rica, um, you know, we're really sort of expanding the footprint. India, um, South Africa, um, so it's gaining a lot of momentum, and a lot of the work that Edgar are doing uh, are doing it um, as a bit of a legacy piece for the sport. So, a lot of the work that's being done will will become essentially property of the International Golf Federation, the the IGF, who are the uh, you could say the uh, the, the global you know, um, governing body of golf in the eyes of the International Paralympic Committee. So we're doing all this work to try and um, try and get the governance right, trying to get the structures right around the world so that you know, golf is afforded that opportunity of joining the Paralympics in hopefully 2028. Mm, that's cool. Um, and there's been some joint tournaments in Australia, haven't there, where you've had the MP, the um, all of Billy's golfers playing the same course on the same same time or close to the same time as the yeah. as the um, able-bodied golfers. Talk me through that. Yeah, so we have two sort of levels of tournaments. We have, um, or we we have a few more than that, but we we have some great um, uh, partners around the country that we work with. So. Uh, organizations like Blind Golf Australia or Special Olympics, those sort of impairment-specific organizations which uh, we badge their events as ranking events. So it helps sort of grow participation in their own events. Um, Golf Australia also run state inclusive championships. So they're open to all impairment categories. And once again, they offer world ranking points. So we see a lot of engagement from people all around the country and participating in those events. Um, and then sort of the pinnacle on the Australian calendar is the Australian All Abilities Championship. So that's the uh, – we use the rankings, the world rankings for golfers with disability to invite the top 12 ranked golfers around the world on the world rankings to participate in the uh, Emirates Australian Open. It's, it's happened the last couple of years and um, it's a great way for us to showcase the inclusivity of our game where we can have – essentially a tournament within a tournament and the players play um, at uh, sort of different interval tee times mixed in with the Australian Open field um, from Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, it's just really cool that the the winner of the Australian All Abilities Championship gets to walk up the last, the 18th uh, fairway in front of pack stands, you know, half an hour in front of the uh, the winner of the 
or the, the last group of the Emirates Australian Open. So, yeah, I think we're one of the only sports that can do that around the world, and that's something that we should – I think we should celebrate a lot more. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, people can see our game is a little bit exclusive, and um, this is just – that just turns that concept on its head, I think. No, that's that's a powerful thing, and that, that just must encourage golfers to get out there and try more if they're seeing that that type of exposure and that type of golfer out there. Um, as you said, going up that final hole in front of that, in front of that huge crowd, I'd be, um, I'd be very, very scared doing it myself personally. So <laughs> yeah. I can only, I can only think uh, it'd be awful for those kind of golfers. They, for the, yeah, they did an amazing golfers. job. I think, you know, the first two years that we've run this, um, you know, we're working with players that have, you know, the biggest event they may have played in before this is their, you know, their club championship or something like that. And they've got, a dozen people around the green. So, you know, a lot of these players, I mean, they've done a, a fantastic job as ambassadors for the game. Um, the other really cool thing is we get such great support um, through our broadcast partner with Channel 7 for, for that event as well. It's um, They see that they see the Australian All Abilities Championship as just as important, you know, to tell that story and tell it well. So I think they've done a really good job over the, you know, the first two years of covering the event and, you know, it's, Nice to see every sort of twenty minutes. We've got nice little packages of that tournament within the uh, within the broadcast. So it's definitely, and that definitely does have it makes an impact. Um, we, you know, the amount of inquiries and um, you know the, the lifting participation that we've seen as a result of that's been fantastic. That's cool. So, so getting all ability golfers into golf. How do you? How do you go about that? Is it is it like a group type situation, or do they tend to approach you? Do you go through the organisations to to get that started? How do you get a foot in the door in 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 that space as a coach? Yeah, so um, yeah, as I think I said earlier, like we're we're really fortunate that we have a professional workforce as a sport. You know, I think that's number one. You know, we've got a a, a great membership of PGA members around the country, but where we saw an opportunity was to have a, you know, a group of people with an industry-based accreditation around inclusive coaching, and and you know to the sector as well that we had a, a specific set of a specific group of professionals that you know we could we could basically say to the sector, if you have a disability, you know, reach out to one of these PJ abilities coaches because they've had the not only the you know the extra training um, in, de- in in supporting people with various impairments, um, you know. They have the knowledge behind things like the paragolf for assistive equipment, those sort of things. So they they can provide the solutions for the participants. Um, but I think the big one is, you know, and, and this is something that our coaches do really well, I think, around the country, is that they're that conduit between the facility and the community. Um, and definitely through partnerships, there's a lot of support organisations out there in the community that that. Um, that support people with disability and probably the best starting point is local government. So, you know, I always tell coaches to reach out to your local government. Um, you know, where I am here down in the Mornington Peninsula, it's Morning, Mornington Peninsula Shire. And I know that, you know, if I want to reach those disability organisations in my shire, I can just go straight to the straight to the local council and, and find out who those organisations are and make a few calls. And, and there's a lot of shared value about, you know, what we deliver as a sport. You know, we deliver that social connection and that social interaction and physical activity that people with disability can get involved, you know, from all ages. Um, and, 
and that's something that's really valuable to these organisations as well. They want to see uh, the people that they support have the same opportunities as everyone else in the community. So there's a lot of shared value. So I always say to coaches, reach out to your local um, local council um, to start with. For sure. So, again, I'll be, we're probably the first step for any Australian coaches out there that are in on this podcast is to get yourself accredited. So they can do that um, via the PGA's training programs. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so on the the fairway, so or um, you know, people PGA members out there just need to jump on my PGA and jump into the education area, and they'll they'll find the uh, the module in the game development area, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty in depth, but we we wanted to make it in depth because uh, we wanted to say to the sector that it is something which is substantial, and there's been a lot of education provided to uh, to our membership, but. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's yeah, we, you know we're seeing we're seeing that that group of members grow annually. Uh, we've got over 160 now. We've got great coverage around the country, and uh, I know both organisations, both PGA and Golf Australia, have got um, specific search capabilities um, on their websites for people with disability to find these coaches. So um, no, it's a terrific thing. That's cool. And just touching on that training, because it's a space where there's going to be so many different types of golfers coming to you. So you you could have um, someone that has to have access to a para golfer, someone who's an amputee, someone um, who's got some other disability. How do you keep on top of all that as a coach? Um, oh, look, I, I, I tend not to think about um, – like if you look at communication as, as an example – Good communication is just good communication. I think, you know, we should be able to adapt our delivery to suit the needs of whoever the individual is. Um, and, you know, we, we, we know we adapt our styles, you know, we, we're teaching juniors or we're teaching seniors or, um, you know, our delivery can change. But essentially in working on things like, you know, improving someone's ball flight, the the principles around improving that don't change. Like we look at club delivery and, you know, those sort of things that influence ball flight. Um, it, it doesn't really matter if you know what I mean. I, I, I suppose I'm, I hope I'm not dancing around the subject, but, no, not um, at all. but, but yeah, so is specific, you know, impairment categories. If I'm working with someone that's vision impaired um, versus, um, an amputee, uh, yes, of course, my delivery is going to change. Um, but, you know, I'll be a lot more kinesthetic, a lot more hands-on with the, with the, with someone's vision impaired, like a B1 golfer that doesn't have any vision whatsoever. And I'll be, I'll be um, you know, taking a bit of a different approach. But, um, but basically, yeah, nothing changes from a, you know, from a flight perspective. I'm still trying to improve, you know, Club delivery. Um, no, yeah. that, that uh, again, it's, it's it's getting and again, please drop in if I haven't quite explained this properly. But it's getting a general understanding of the principles around the different disabilities, and then asking questions of that person standing in front of you about the th- things they can and can't do, and how they want to be coached, as opposed to just assuming. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, uh, the worst thing that a coach can have is a closed mindset. I think if if we sort of work in, if we, you know, someone comes and presents on the lesson T, someone that's vision impaired, for instance, you know, someone that might be using a cane, someone that might have a, a, a guide dog, um, 
we would be excused of thinking that that person has no vision. Um, where if I ask some qualifying questions, I might learn that, you know, someone has, um, you know, has no what we call visual acuity, like central vision, but they might have peripheral vision. Um, or, you know, there might be, they might see outlines of certain things. So, um, yeah, so it's just through asking those probing questions. Um, I'm building a bit of a profile on that player. Um, you know, even just simple little things like, you know, what other sports do they play? Um, and, you know, if, if, if you do get an answer that you're not sure of, like if someone says, look, I play, you know, I'm vision impaired and I play, um, you know, I play soccer, um, you know, it's, it's okay as a coach to say, well, how do you how do you play soccer if you know, you know like you know I, I'd like to know and then you know the conversation might go well I have a little, tiny little bit of sight out of my left side so then as a coach I'm going to make sure that I'm standing in that corner of you know of that peripheral sort of area where they can actually see me as a golf coach um, you know I might preset their head a lot you know when when we're hitting shots so they they can they can sight the golf ball so. Um, yeah, it's just about asking qualifying questions all the time and get not, you know, if you do get a yes or a no answer, it's just about digging more essentially. Makes sense, makes sense. Now, you've shifted from a, a pure coaching role into more, as you said, as you said earlier, you're now uh, working for Golf Australia in, in this space. So tell me about some of the plans you've got for this space in the future or that you're currently heading down at the moment with Golf Australia. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we've spoken heavily about the, uh, you know, PGA All Abilities Coach accreditation and, and we do have capacity around the country now. We've got very, very good capacity um, with, uh, with coaches. Um, the thing that we've probably been lacking over the first three years and we did this deliberately is we didn't have necessarily, necessarily a product you know, like a um, like my golf is a good example. You know, our national participation program for for kids in Australia. Um, we didn't necessarily have an all abilities offering. Um, we wanted to make sure we grew the workforce and we had capacity around the country first before we actually did the program piece. Um, you know, we we didn't want a situation where someone in say Orange in New South Wales with disability would then, you know, look up to find the nearest program being in, you know, on the north shores of, 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 um, of Sydney, for example. Um, so we do have those program vehicles now in My Golf, um, All Abilities and Get Into Golf All Abilities. So Get Into Golf was recently launched. It's um, our national participation program for adults. Um, but once again, we've got an All Abilities offering there for, for people in the community that don't necessarily feel um, supported in mainstream environments. Um, yeah, so it feels like we've got the program piece there ready to go now. So, um, yeah, so the next 12 months will be really busy on us really focusing on engaging these PJL Abilities coaches um, and getting programs out there and then heavily marketing those programs so that people can, can find uh, those entry points into the game. Um, so that's sort of from a grassroots perspective, from the events perspective, um, continue to sort of grow the offering um, out there for people with disability in the, the sort of tournament pathway. Um, we've got the Queensland uh, and Victorian Inclusive Championships. We'll have South Australia and, you know, these were postponed due to the COVID um, situation that we've got. Um, but uh, New South Wales, South Australia, 
uh, will come online early next year. And we've got a, a really nice tournament run by Golf New South Wales um, within the, uh, the the WA Open, which started last year, which will be a regular feature of the WA Open. So, yeah, from a from a, I think you've got to attack it from both ways. You've got to sort of think about grassroots participation, having that entry entry point into the game, but you've also got to build from the top down as well. So the Australian All Abilities Championship and then those tournaments going down and um, and then working with our delivery partners, those those different disability organisations that help also grow the the amount of opportunities that there are, you know, for, for players as well. I think they're probably the sort of the key things that we're focusing on. Sounds really cool. So I might just apologise. It's just started to pour rain here. So if you can hear that in the background, um, it always seems to pour whenever I'm doing a podcast. So hopefully you can get always. that audio cleaned up when well, we do I'm, that. I'm, I'm in stage four lockdown here like you, Brent, and, you know, I've got the kids, uh, you know, we've just finished homeschooling and it's school holidays and, I was just waiting for one of those kids to to break through the door and um, start yelling questions at me, but it hasn't happened yet. So touch no, wood, it's, it's, we'll get through. <laughs> I have my 10-year-old chained to the door so he can't say anything. That's the only way to do it, keep him <laughs> nice and quiet. Uh, Very good. Well, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. I certainly appreciate you coming in and chatting to us. There's um, heaps of cool info you've shared with us uh, on coaching but there's um there's some standard four questions that i like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast so i'd like to throw those at you before i let you go yeah so do you have any advice for coaches starting out so um you could probably come at it from this point of view in this all ability space so if coaches starting up in this space what advice do you have for them um yeah, I, I think, you know, if we're going to get specific around the all abilities area is um, once again, we talked about a, a growth mindset um, from the start and, you know, people with disability want to have really meaningful experiences with our game and some of the most competitive people I think I've ever met are people with disability. So um, it's about understanding what your student wants to get out of the sport um, and then sort of, I suppose, you know, sitting down like a lot, well, like I'll, I like to do this with most of my sort of pupils that I teach is just sort of set a bit of a plan um, and then work that plan. So, um, yeah, but but for coaches, you know, really dive into this area. I think it's, it's a space that will really improve, um, you know, I- improve their communication, improve their general coaching anyway. It starts to really expand um, uh, your repertoire as far as what um, what the things, the steps that you take to we actually improve a player. Yeah, it would. And um, just getting back to that growth mindset, we had Sue Shapcott on the podcast uh, episode three or four quite early in the, in the piece and she was speaking quite heavily about growth mindset. So it's a pretty important thing to have. And it can only improve you as a coach being able to be flexible to adjust the way you go about it based on that person standing in front of you. It's an important skill to have. So um, Yeah, 100%. Getting- I love Sue's work. She's no, she's Amazing. great. So I would encourage you to go back and check out her episode as well if you are on the podcast because she was um, yeah. she was great. Um, so advice for golfers out there. So, again, you can come at it from golfers in general or come at it from um, golfers with a disability, your choice. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably a more generic um, comment on that is that I, I suppose we, we – 
I think over the year we've been a little bit guilty of programming this sort of classroom before the um, playground sort of mentality and, um, you know, I, I think there's probably been, you know, we've we've probably kept people on the range a little bit too much and we've, we've sort of put an emphasis on skill, um, you know, first before actually getting out there and learning the game. And I know my own sort of experience in coming to the game with my my dad, Peter, um, you know, used to just drag me around for, for nine holes and, and have fun, um, you know, from a, you know, from a, you know, just, just getting out there and playing. Um, I'd, I'd probably offer that piece of advice for participants is just to get out and actually have a go, um, get out there on the golf course, experience, you know, the joys of what we actually experience as golfers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, don't be afraid to go in um, full tilt. It's a great sport. And I would certainly enforce that as well. This is, um, and again, I grew up in the country, so I grew up on the golf course. It was about you didn't go to the practice fairway because a we had a a we didn't have a practice fairway. We had a driving range. We had to pay for the golf balls, and being a twelve year old kid, I couldn't afford to pay for the golf balls. So yeah. you grew up Absolutely. on the golf course. You got on the golf Just course. Keep playing holes. That's all it was, yeah. and it was. 36 holes a day for the school holidays and yeah get dropped off there in the morning and picked up pick um, up at night as it got dark and that was that was about it so yeah i would certainly encourage that as well certainly getting onto the golf course sooner rather than later um yeah and as coaches as well yeah that's the most special part of our our sport is um is being out in the golf course and and you know sharing a game and playing with playing with friends and family and um yeah i just see too many people um put too much emphasis on on you know having a certain skill um level before they actually go out and um play golf but yeah i think i'd like to see a lot more people enjoying the the stuff that we enjoy makes sense makes sense um and now the the third question i ask everyone is the career question is there Anything that you would change in your career if you had the chance to go back and take a different path or change a choice that you've made in the past? Is there anything that would you would you would alter? No, I think you know. I, look, I'm I'm really fortunate in doing what I do now, and I think uh, the skill set that I bring to my role is probably a, a product of all my own experiences as a PGA professional and. And as an amateur growing up, and you know, as a club club member, um, sort of growing up, so I I don't necessarily. I, there's definitely no regrets from that perspective because it actually does give you, I think, the tools to be able to do your job because you've had all those experiences, you know, whether they're good or bad. Um, but probably from a coaching perspective, um, I would have spent a lot more time on trying to get my, especially beginner students, out onto the golf course as quick as possible, so they actually understand how the game's played. Um, you know, I think I've probably been guilty of, you know, um, you know, the stock standard beginner programs where it might be five weeks and, you know, just completely focused on skill. Um, do they have the tools to be able to then go out and play golf? Maybe not because we have actually haven't shown them how to play the game. Um, so that's probably from a coaching perspective, I would probably, I would have put more emphasis on getting people out on the golf course quicker. Um, I would, yeah, I would certainly put up my own hand and say that I've been guilty of coaching golf swing as opposed to coaching golf 100 percent yep so that's 100%. Um, yeah 
it's a powerful thing to um, be able to go back and say, okay, well, I could have changed this and this. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so where do you see yourself or golf? You can answer either or or, or both um, in five years' time. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, I hope to see two things. I hope to see um, – it's it's interesting. I mean, we're, we're structured a little bit differently than a lot of other sports, but, um, you know, we're effectively thousands of or hundreds and hundreds of businesses around the country that are working independently. But I think there's an enormous opportunity for us to all work collectively to show people a sing, single entry point into the game. And I think, you know, in my current role, seeing the value that my golf and get into golf um, provides to the community as that vehicle for, for bringing people in through PJ members and community instructors. Um, so I'd love to see a lot more clubs and facilities get behind our national programs. I think that's key. And it's not so much about whether they think that, you know, you know they, they might run successful programs themselves, that, that that's fine. But, but having one centralised place where people can find what they're looking for, I think is really important for us as a sport. Um, so I'll continue to work hard at trying to um, trying to trying to get everyone um, on that same journey. I think that's really important that both organisations, being PJ and Golf Australia, work collectively together to try and make that happen. Um, so that's probably the first thing. The second thing, I mean, I've in the all ability space, especially just seeing that tournament space grow and grow, um, and then you know I think it'd be really cool if we do. Um, you know, the, the highlight for me would be to get into the Paralympic Games in 2028. I think that if we do that, we'll see significant um, investment as well into the sport uh, from from a government perspective. Um, yeah, so I, I'd probably say those two things are, are priorities. No, that's that's cool. That's cool. Uh, again, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. I certainly appreciate it. Um, I'll put a link to the All Abilities Coach Accreditation in the episode description so people can find that if they are an Australian PGA pro, then they're keen to get involved in that space. But where can people find you if they're after any more information or just want to talk coaching with you? Yeah, sure. Um, probably, look, best to... Um, Best to reach out via email, um, probably probably best, I think, uh, first port of call. Um, and it's just christianh at golf.org.au, uh, pretty simple email address. Um, well, we also got a, a contact us button on the, on the GA website as well. So um, if uh, someone has missed that email address, just uh, golf.org.au, uh, the, the website and the uh, contact us page and I'll certainly, uh, yeah, certainly be able to make contact through either of those two channels. I will put some links in the in the show, and also um, we'll put some your. I think you've got a Twitter handle on there as well, so we'll put a few of your personal coaching ones out there as well, so people can can see what you do. No worries, terrific, awesome, mate. Thank you so much again for your time. Certainly appreciate it, and um, we'll certainly catch up with you again soon, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us on. 